0: Chapter 1 of Anne of Green Gables. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit librivox.org. Anne of Green Gables by Lucy Maud Montgomery. Chapter 1. Mrs. Rachel Lynd is surprised. Mrs. Rachel Lynd lived just where the avonlea main road dipped into a little hollow fringed with alders and ladies ear-drops and traversed by a brook that had its source away back in the woods of the old cothbert place it was reputed to be an intricate headlong brook in its earlier courses through these woods with dark secrets of pool and cascade but by the time it reached the lynn's hollow it was a quiet well-conducted little stream for not even a brook had run past miss rachel lynn's door without due regard for decency and decorum it probably was conscious that mrs rachel was sitting at her window keeping a sharp eye on everything that passed from brooks and children up and that if she noticed anything odd or out of place she would never rest until she had ferreted out why's and wherefore's thereof there are plenty of people in avonlea and out of it who can attend closely to their neighbour's business by dint of neglecting their own but mrs rachel lynde was one of those capable creatures who can manage their own concerns and those of other folks into the bargain she was a notable housewife her work was always done and well done. She ran the sewing circle, helped run the Sunday school, and was the strongest prop of the church aid society and foreign missions auxiliary. Yet with all this, mrs Rachel found abundant time to sit for hours at her kitchen window knitting cotton wrap quilts she had knitted sixteen of them, as Avonlea housekeepers were wont to tell in odd voices, and keeping a sharp eye on the main road that crossed the hollow and wound up the steep red hill beyond since avonlea occupied a little triangular peninsula jutting out into the gulf of st lawrence with waters on two sides of it anybody who went out of it or into it had to pass over that hill road and so run the unseen gauntlet of mrs rachel's all-seeing eye she was sitting there one afternoon in early june the sun was coming in at the window warm and bright the orchard on the slope below the house was a bridal flush of pink-white bloom hummed over by a myriad of bees thomas lynde a meek little man whom ammon lee called Rachel's lynde's husband was sowing his late turnip seed on the hill field beyond the barn and matthew cuthbert ought to have been sowing his on the big red brook field away over by green gables mrs rachel knew that he ought because she had heard him tell peter morrison the evening before in william j blair's store over at carmody that he meant to sow his turnip seed the next afternoon peter had asked him of course for matthew cuthbert had never been known to volunteer information about anything in his whole life and yet here was matthew cuthbert at half-past three on the afternoon of a busy day placidly driving over the hollow and up the hill moreover he wore a white collar and his best suit of clothes which was plain proof that he was going out of avonlea and he had the buggy and the sorrel mare which betokened that he was going to a considerable distance now there was matthew cuthbert going away and why was he going there Had it been any other man in Avonlea, Mrs. Rachel, deftly putting this and that together, might have given a pretty good guess at both questions. But Matthew so rarely went from home that it must be something pressing and unusual which was taking him. He was the shyest man alive and hated to have to go among strangers, or to any place where he might have to talk. Matthew dressed up with a white collar and driving in a buggy was something that didn't happen often. Missus Rachel ponder as she might could make nothing of it and her afternoon's enjoyment was spoiled. I'll just step over to Green Gables after tea and find out from Marilla where he's gone and why. "'the worthy woman finally concluded. "'He doesn't generally go to town this time of year, and he never visits. "'If he'd run out of turnip seeds, he wouldn't dress up and take the buggy to go for more. "'He wasn't driving fast enough to be going for a doctor. "'Yet something must have happened since last night to start him off. "'I'm clean puzzled, that's what, and I won't know a minute's peace of mind or conscience "'until I know what has taken Matthew Cuthbert out of Avonlea today." "'Accordingly, after tea, Mrs. Rachel set out.' She had not far to go. The big rambling orchard embowered house where the Cuthberts lived was a scant quarter of a mile up the road from the Lynn's Hollow. To be sure, the long lane made it a good deal further. Matthew Cuthbert's father, as shy and silent as his son after him, had got as far away as he possibly could from his fellow men without actually retreating into the woods when he founded his homestead. Green Gables, was built at the furthest edge of his cleared land, and there it was to this day, barely visible from the main road, along which all the other Avonlea houses were so sociably situated. Mrs. Rachel Lynn did not call living in such a place living at all. "'It's just staying, that's what,' she says as she stepped along the deep-rutted grassy lane bordered with wild rose-bushes. "'It's no wonder Matthew and Marilla are both a little odd, living away back here by themselves.' trees aren't much company, though dear knows if they were, they'd be enough of I'd rather look at the people, to be sure. They seem contented enough, but then I suppose they're used to it. A body can get used to anything, even to being hanged, as the Irishman said. With this Mrs. Rachel stepped out of the lane into the backyard of Green Gables. Very green and neat and precise was that yard, set about on one side with great patriarchal willows and the other with prim lombardies. Not a stray stick nor stone was to be seen, for Mrs. Rachel would have seen it if there had been. Privately she was of the opinion that Marilla Cuthbert swept the yard over as often as she swept her house. One could have eaten a meal off the ground without overbrimming the proverbial peck of dirt. Mrs. Rachel rapped smartly at the kitchen door and stepped in when bidden to do so. The kitchen at Green Gables was a cheerful apartment, or would have been cheerful if it had not been so painfully clean as to give it something of the appearance of an unused parlour. Its windows looked east and west. Through the west one, looking out in the back yard, came a flood of mellow June sunlight. But the east one, whence you got a glimpse of the bloom white cherry tree in its left orchard and nodding, slender birches down in the hollow by the brook, was greeted over by a tangle of vines here sat marilla cuthbert when she sat at all always slightly distrustful of sunshine which seemed to her too dancing and irresponsible a thing for a world which was meant to be taken seriously and here she sat now knitting and the table behind her was laid for supper mrs rachel before she had fairly closed the door had taken a mental note of everything that was on the table there were three plates laid so that marilla must be expecting someone home today with matthew to tea But the dishes were everyday dishes and there was only a crab apple preserves and one kind of cake, so that she expected company could not be any particular company yet when matthew's white collar and the sorrel mare Missus Rachel was getting fairly dizzy with this unusual mystery about quiet unmysterious Green Gables. Good evening, Rachel, said Marilla briskly. This is a real fine evening, isn't it? Won't you sit down? How are all your folks? Something that, for lack of any other name, might be called friendship existed and always had existed between Marilla Cuthbert and Mrs. Rachel, in spite of, or perhaps because of, their dissimilarity. Marilla was a tall, thin woman with angles and without curves. Her dark hair showed some grey streaks and was always twisted up in a hard little knot behind two wire hairpins stuck aggressively through it. She looked like a woman of narrow experience and rigid conscience, which she was, but there was a saving something about her mouth which— if it had been ever so slightly developed might have been considered indicative of a sense of humor we're all pretty well said mrs rachel i was kind of afraid you weren't though when i saw matthew starting off today i thought maybe he was going to the doctor's marilla's lips twitched understandingly she had expected mrs rachel up she'd known that the sight of matthew jaunting off so unaccountably would be too much for her neighbor's curiosity oh no i'm quite well although i had a bad headache yesterday she said matthew went to bright river we're getting a little boy from an orphan asylum in nova scotia and he's coming on the train tonight. if marilla had said that matthew had gone to bright river to meet a kangaroo from australia mrs rachel could not have been more astonished she was actually stricken dumb for five seconds it was unsupposable that marilla was making fun of her but mrs rachel was almost forced to suppose it are you in earnest, Marilla? she demanded when voice returned to her. Yes, of course, said Marilla, as if getting boys from an orphan asylum in Nova Scotia were part of the usual spring work on any well regulated Avonlea farm instead of being an overheard of innovation. Missus Rachel felt that she had received a severe mental jolt. She thought in exclamation points, a- boy marilla and matthew cuthbert of all people adopting a boy from an orphan asylum well the world was certainly turning upside down she would be surprised at nothing after this nothing what on earth put such a notion into your head she demanded disapprovingly this had been done without her advice being asked and must perforce be disapproved well we've been thinking about it for some time all winter in fact returned marilla Mrs. Alexander Spencer was up here one day before Christmas, and she said she was going to get a little girl from the asylum over in Hopetown in the spring. Her cousin lives there, and Mrs. Spencer has once visited her and knows all about it. So Matthew and I have talked it over, off, and on ever since. We thought we could get a boy. Matthew is getting up in years, you know. He's sixty. And he isn't so spry as he once was. His heart troubles him a good deal, and you know how desperate hard it's going to be to get hired help there's never anybody to be had but those stupid half-grown little french boys and as soon as you do get one broke into your ways and taught something he's up and off to the lobster canneries of the states at first matthew suggested getting a homeboy but i said no flat to that they may be all right and i'm not saying they're not but no london streets arabs for me i said give me a native boy at least there will be a risk no matter who we get "'but I'll feel easier in my mind and sleep sounder at night if we get a born Canadian.' "'So in the end we decided to ask Mrs. Spencer to pick us out one when she went over to get her little girl. "'We heard last week she was going, so we sent her word by Richard Spencer's folks at Carmody "'to bring us a smart, likely boy of about ten or eleven. "'We decided that that'd be the best age, old enough to be of some use in doing chores right off, "'and young enough to be trained up proper. "'Mean to give him a good home and schooling.' We had a telegram from Mrs. Alexander Spencer today. The mailman brought it from the station, saying that they were coming on the 5.30 train tonight. So Matthew went to Bright River to meet him. Mrs. Spencer will drop him off there. Of course, she goes on to White Sand Station herself. Mrs. Rachel prided herself on always speaking her mind. She proceeded to speak it now, having adjusted her mental attitude to this amazing piece of news well marilla i'll just tell you plain that i think you're doing mighty foolish thing a risky thing that's what you don't know what you're getting you're bringing a strange child into your house at home and you don't know a single thing about him nor what his disposition is like nor what sort of p- parents he had or how he's likely to turn out "'Why, it was only last week I read in the paper "'how a man and his wife, up west of the island, "'took a boy at an orphan asylum, "'and he set fire to the house at night, "'set it on purpose, Marilla, "'and nearly burnt them to a crisp in their beds. "'And I know another case where a adopted boy "'to suck eggs they couldn't break him of it. "'If you asked my advice in the matter, "'which you didn't do, Marilla, "'I'd have said, for mercy's sake, "'not to think of such a thing, that's what.' "'This Job's comforting seemed neither to offend "'nor to alarm Marilla,' she knitted steadily on. I don't deny there is something in what you say, Rachel. I've had some qualms myself, but Matthew was terrible set on it. I could see that, so I gave in. It's so seldom Matthew sets his mind on anything that when I di- when he does, I always feel it's my duty to give in. And as for the risk, there's risks in pretty near everything a body does in this world. There's risks in people having children of their own. If it comes to that, they don't always turn out well. And then Nova Scotia's right close to the island it isn't that if we're getting him from england or the states he can't be much different from ourselves well i hope it all turns out right said mrs rachel in a tone that plainly indicated her painful doubts only don't say i didn't warn you if he burns green gables down or puts strychnine in the well i had a case of that over in new brunswick where an orphan asylum child did that and the whole family died in fearful agonies only was a girl in that instance "'Well, we're not getting a girl,' said Marilla, as if poisoning wells were purely feminine accomplishment, and not to be dreaded in the case of a boy. "'I'd never dream of taking a girl to bring up. I wonder at Mrs. Alexander Spencer for doing it. But there, she wouldn't shrink from adopting a whole orphan asylum if she took it in her head.' Mrs. Rachel would have liked to stay until Matthew came home with his imported orphan, but reflecting that it would be a good two hours at least before his arrival, she concluded to go up the road to Robert Bell's and tell him the news it certainly would make a sensation second to none and mrs rachel dearly loved to make a sensation so she took herself away somewhat to marilla's relief for the latter felt her doubts and fears reviving under the influence of mrs rachel's pessimisms well of all things that ever were or will be ejaculated mrs rachel when she was safely out in the lane it does really seem as if i must be dreaming well i'm sorry for that poor young one and no mistake matthew and marilla don't know anything about children and they'll expect him to be wiser and steadier than his own grandfather if so be's he ever had a grandfather which is doubtful it seems uncanny to think of a child at green gables somehow there's never been one there for matthew and marilla were grown up when the new house was built if they ever were children which is hard to believe when one looks at them i wouldn't be in that orphan's shoes for anything my but i pity him that's what so said mrs rachel to the wild rose bushes out of the fulness of her heart but if she could have seen the child who was waiting patiently at bright river station at that very moment her pity would have been still steeper and more profound End of Chapter One.